Chapter 10 of Secretary Hawkins in Cuba. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Secretary Hawkins in Cuba by Secretary Hawkins. Attacked by Cuban boys. I said nothing at all about the apple that Uncle Rafael Peralta had given to me. I simply thanked him for it and shoved it in the pocket of my jacket. Doug Waters said he did not think it was very nice of Uncle Rafael to give an apple to me and to slight his own nephew. But Link was not in the room at the time, and so his feelings could not have been hurt. So I said to Duck, Say no more about it. I don't understand why Uncle Raphael shows me any preference. But I began to think about it when I found myself alone. Why had Uncle Raphael done this? How could he have known that one of us boys had made a trip to the dining room at midnight? Surely he must have seen me calmed down the stairway. Perhaps he had even seen my sudden fright when I imagined that the big painting on the wall had beckoned to me. Could he have been hiding somewhere in that room? If so, why was he there at that hour of the night? The more I thought about it, the more wildly I began to imagine all sorts of things about Uncle Raphael, and knowing that it was foolish to guess at the matter, I put it out of my mind and went out in the yard. Link was seated on the carved stone bench. Hawkins, he said, Dak says we can pass up our lessons for today because he has to go to town for a new supply of cigars. Suppose we go over to Villa Candida and see our friend Will Standish. Of course, the idea pleased me, and Link broke up the red roadster, and in a few minutes we were flying up the road. It was but a short ride to the Villa Candida. We broke the red roadster to a stand in the shade of an Alamo tree, for the sand was very hot and if the car was allowed to stand in the sun for any length of time, the seats would get so hot that it was uncomfortable to ride. We walked around to the wine-covered arbor on the side of the Villa Candida and met a colored porter who was busily engaged in cleaning up the lawn. Link spoke a few Spanish words that he had picked up. Donde esta el muchacho, Will Standish? Which means, where is the boy, Will Standish? The colored man grinned at Link, and I said, You don't talk plain enough, Link. He can't understand you. Link tried it again. The darkest grin grew to a wide laugh, and when Link tried to make himself understood, by several kinds of motions, the old fellow doubled up with laughter. Then, as he saw an angry look come over Link's face, 
he suddenly grew grave and said, Is you boys got that kind of talk natural, or is it you trying to fool a poor old nigger? It was our turn to laugh now. Here, we had trudged over half of Cuba, never meeting a negro who could talk English, and we naturally believed that there was not one of them in this country who could understand English. But here was a happy-looking darkie who spoke the old familiar lingo that our own Kentucky-colored folks used. We laughed good and long, and he joined in with us, enjoying it as though it was the best joke he ever heard. Excuse me, said Link. I didn't expect to find one like you down here. You don't belong here, I'll bet. Lad, no, said the darky as he leaned on his rake and wiped from his forehead the perspiration that his hearty laughter had caused. No, indeedy. This year, nigger ain't no Cuban, Sonny. I'm sick and tired of this place. Cross my heart if I ain't. I wished I could get myself tucked away in one of them big boats that's going back to where I come from. Bless me, I bet here's one nigger that wouldn't leave old Tennessee no more. We both grinned back at the kindly old man and nodded our heads. We feel the same way about it, I said. Seems like we are at the end of the world way down here so far away from home. It do indeed, Sonny, said the porter, at the end of the world. And if this was, bless me if I don't believe, I'd jump over it. Sometime I get so homesick for my old Tennessee. Just plain old Abner Green, that's me. And if you'll ask anybody in Johnson City, they'll tell you that's my name. Well, Abner, I said, what my friend was trying to ask you in Spanish was if you knew where we can find the boy who lives here. Will Standish, he said his name was. The Negro scratched his woolly top knot and said, Lad, no, there ain't nobody can keep track of that young. I suspect he be down that way. You see the sheds. On the other side of that can, that's where he hangs out most of the time. But maybe he ain't there now. You can go and see if you like. So Link and I bid the old darky goodbye and walked on down to the white sheds he had pointed out. As we approached, we heard a hammering going on inside one of the sheds and peeped in one of the windows and saw a stooped figure by the door, busily driving a large staple in the wall. As we started for the door, it suddenly opened, and Will Standish looked out upon us, his face grimy, his sleeves rolled up, and a hammer in his hand. Come in, quick, he said. They're all hiding over there in the sugar can, waiting for a chance to get hold of me. What's the meaning of it, Will? I asked. Looks like you expected an attack by Indians or something of that sort. 
They are Indians, all right? replied Will Standish with love. My father laughs about it and says I should be big enough by now to take care of myself, and I guess I am. But these boys around here take things serious, Hawkins. Wait till you have your first scrap with them. See if you don't say the same thing. Reminds me of our old shack back home, Hawkins, said Link. Yes, I said, and the old houseboat. I built every bit of this myself, declared Will Standish with a show of pride. And it is a better job than the Cuban boys could do. They all envy me. They try to make life miserable for me here. Sometimes I stay up in the villa for days at a time because I know they are out here watching for me. But I just got so I had to have a playhouse of my own. And I have a secret now that will keep them guessing for a while. They always watch me, but they never see me come in. What do you think of that? Well, I said, there's only one way I think you can do that, and that is by a tunnel. Yes, said Link. We had one under our house boat. You remember, Hawkins? How I got caught in it one day when the river came up and flooded our tunnel. That's right, I said, and Link swam out of it, Will, with these two dogs behind him, and fooled the sheriff, who was waiting for him inside our houseboat. Will Standish was interested to know why the sheriff had been waiting for Link. But I quickly assured Will that Link was not a burglar of anything like that and told him the whole story from the start to finish. Well, said Will Standish after I ended my story, it may be that those kids out there will try to break in. They've seen you come in anyway, and they know I am here now, but... You see how I have fastened the door? The windows, you notice, have iron bars in front of them. So it's safe. Look here, Will, said Link. Who are these kids you're talking about? Will laughed. You will recognize one of them, the leader. He is Miguel Peralta, the boy who sicked his goat on you. He has about 15 boys just like him. They just naturally don't like me, because I am American, I guess. Quietly, he walked to a corner in the rear of the sack, and stooping, drew up a sliding door, about two feet square. I held up the door as Will crawled out, and waited until Link had followed, before I went through myself. It was very shady outside, and it took me a minute to figure out just where I was. But I finally realized that the rear of the shack backed right smack up against a thick field of sugar cane, and I knew that no one could see us. This beats a tunnel, said Link. Not so loud, cautioned Will Standish. Wait till we are out of it. We pushed on through the cane. In five minutes, 
we stood at the edge of the field, where it began to slope to the river. We have given them the slip, all right, said Will. Now, what do you say about a trip in my boat? She is lying in a boathouse down yonder. I had to lock her up to keep the Cuban kids away from her. No, thanks, said Link. We have the red automobile out in front of your villa, so we will have to go back in that. All right, said Will Standish. I'll see you later. He had a long walk back as we kept on the edge of the cane field, not wishing to run into any of the Cuban gang that Will Standish had warned us against. But we reached the auto safely and soon were speeding on our way home. When we reached Villa Casanova, Dak was seated on the porch, smoking one of the new cigars he had just brought back from town. Come on, Dak, I said. You promised to go to the river with us today. I am waiting for a certain party, said Dak. He is late, but I am sure he will come. You boys walk on and enjoy yourself, but be careful on the river. There may be alligators in it. We feared no alligators and laughingly told Dak so as we started off. When we approached the little boathouse, we saw Gabriel, the houseman, busily cleaning up the launch. He smiled when he saw us. I never did like Gabriel's smile. It seemed to me that he always smiled when you came upon him unexpectedly. I fix it for you, he said. You'll like it. We had to say what we did, for the little boat was a spick and span as a new one. Its double-deck plan pleased Link very much, and he called my attention to everything in it with great enthusiasm. Suppose we had one like this on our old river back home, Hawkins? He said. Well, I answered, we could have used it during the days that Stoner and his gray launch used to pester us. Even as I spoke, there came a racket from up the stream, the rattle of a boat engine going full speed. Together, we sprang to the windows and looked out just as a white and green launch sailed past. A hailing shout came from its driver, and we recognized Will Standish. We answered him lustily, and saw him slacken his speed and turn around. Slowly, he came alongside. Come on up, I called. You bet I will, he called back, and scampered out of his snappy-looking river speedster and fastened it securely to our boat with a chain. As we waited for him to join us on the upper deck, we praised the neatness of his little launch, which bore the name of the Comet, painted in brilliant red on the white bow. Say, fellows, he said as he came into the cabin where we waited, You had a close shave. Do you know it? Those Cuban kids saw you going back somehow, and I saw them take out after you. 
Well, said Link, they didn't catch up with us. No, of course not, said Will. I knew what they were up to, and so I called something to them in Spanish, which made them sore, and when they turned and saw me, they made for me. But I got in my boat and gave them a merry chase. Wait till you see what kind of a craft they ride in. They ought to be here shortly, boys. Good Lord, I said, you don't think they'll come here, do you? They'll come wherever they see my boat tied up. They know the comet. Many's the time they try to ruin it. Look, see that sail? Here they come now. He chuckled as he pointed to one boy standing on the very nose of the odd sailboat in which the Cuban boys were approaching. That's Miguel, said Will. Oh, I bet he is sore because I passed him coming back. He tried to ram my boat, but he didn't turn quickly enough. Look out now. Here they come. Just look at the old brig, will you? We all drew back from the window as the boat drew near us, and I felt the shock as the sailboat bumped alongside of her own, and heard jumping feet and the sound of Gabriel's voice speaking loudly in Spanish. But the impudent replies of the Cuban boys drowned out the protest of the houseman. We finally heard the patter of feet on deck, and already I saw the head of one appearing in the hatchway. I pulled off my coat and threw my hat in a corner. Are you ready? asked Will Standish. Let him come, said Link. The three of us lined up as a dripping wet Cuban boy appeared in the doorway, and another behind him, while the head of a third could be seen coming up the steps. The first one fell upon Will Standish, and together they wrestled, while Link struck out for the second. And before I could see how the fight was going, the third came in to engage me. I saw him swing a dirty fist at me, but I ducked and rose up, and quick let him have it under the chin. He said, oh, and that was the same in Spanish as in English. It meant that I had hurt him, and he grew furious and gripped me about the waist. All right, I said, I'll fix you. So I gave him the famous old ankle trip that Jerry Moore taught me, and he fell, but pulled me down with him. There was by this time an awful racket going on in the boat, and just as three or four more Cuban boys came in to help their comrades, the voice of Doug Waters came up the hatchway. What's going on up there? He called. At the sound of his voice, the Cuban boys left off fighting and sprang for the windows, where they sat perched like monkeys, waiting to see whether or not they should call off the fight. But the sound of Duck's voice was followed by his appearance in the doorway, and at that they all jumped from the windows over the rail and into the water, splash after splash, 
and the three of us got up and faced Doug. I introduced Will Standish. I guess it's my fault, said Will. But we have to fight them. I'm used to it. They can't hurt anybody much. Doug smiled. All right, he said. But keep away from them if you can. There's enough trouble here without fighting. Then, turning to Link, he said, Uncle Lucio is below. He is going to take us to some interesting rocks nearby, if you care to go. Do we? exclaimed Link. I wouldn't miss it for the world. Will you go along with us, Will Standish? Will nodded. Sure, he said. Then we went below to meet Uncle Lucio. End of chapter 10